Good morning. Those lights were low, so I want to make sure you didn't fall asleep. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, for you are our rock and redeemer. Amen. They left in a hurry with their enslavers close behind, hurrying through the hot desert dunes with the sun beating down upon their backs. Pharaoh and his armies pursued, chased God's people to the edge of the land, to the water's edge, and to a roadblock. Then, with minutes to spare, a strong east wind blew, and by some miracle the sea parted. On the other side was safety, on the other side was hope, on the other side was freedom, and so they walked through the parted waters. And when they reached the dry land, when the waters came crashing down upon their oppressors, the people of God, were told, sang. Moses led the people in a song of praise, sing to God of victory. God is our strength and our song. God is our salvation. Miriam the prophet took her tambourine and all the women followed, singing and dancing, call and response, sing to God. Victory is ours. Once on the other side, once free, once with the danger behind them, the people sang. That's how the story is recorded in our Bibles, written down and published and read this morning. But the ancient rabbis and sages offer a different order of events. They surmised the people's song started before the dry land, the security and the freedom. They argued that Moses joined the chorus, that Miriam rattled her tambourine not once they crossed the other side, but as they crossed. The rabbis claimed that with their enslavers still on their heels, with the hope of freedom in sight but not yet in reach, with the waters of the sea trembling around them, the people sang. Sing to God who is our strength and song. Sing to God, victory is ours. They sang of freedom before they had it. The ancient wisdom suggests that the people sang because it gave them strength and courage to face such terror. They did not know if the walls of water would collapse over them or if their oppressors would overtake them, or if another band of enemies awaited them on the other side. So, as they marched, they sang. They sang of freedom and salvation, of victory and strength and hope. Protest songs, or as they were commonly known as freedom songs, were a vital part of the community organizing tradition of the civil rights movement. When folks gathered for voter registration drives or nonviolent resistance training, one of the first things organizers did was teach local people how to sing freedom songs. 
They thought songs that were borrowed from church hymns would help thaw some of the fear newcomers might have toward the movement. And like church, these songs were congregational. People clapped and they sang and they danced along with the songs that expressed freedom in the face of oppression and courage in the face of fear. And participation was far more important than quality. Everyone was a participant. Everyone was expected to sing. They were told if you felt you couldn't sing, sing louder. Freedom music, protest music, was understood as a tool for liberation. It was an instrument that was powerful enough to take people away from mortal dangers and real fear filling them with strength and determination to fight, to march, to keep going. Singing was the foundation of the resistance. People sang while marching in front of department stores that did not allow black people to be served at their lunch counters or did not hire black people to work. When working in movement offices, they would sing. When they were at mass meetings, they would sing for two, three hours. Freedom riders sang on the bus, and folks sang or hummed in line as they prepared to register to vote. People would sing in jail, separated by bars and walls, unable to see each other, but they could hear each other. And so they would sing, sing of the hope and the courage that was needed. The late great representative John Lewis was asked if they sang at the lunch counter, and he said, oh no, when you're at a sit-in, when you're at the counter, you're quiet. You read a book, you look ahead, you ordered, and you waited. And then when we got arrested, when we were carried out, we were silent. But once we got into the paddy wagon, we made it rock. It was courage. And there's something about singing, something that chanting slogans or shouting alone just can't accomplish. It's something Moses and Miriam knew, for it is part of their faith. It's something that those who sang the protest songs knew because they learned it in church. In the midst of a world full of shouting and chaos, a world that tries to overpower us with its mumbling and mayhem, the people of God can overcome it with song. You see, singing together in a community is more than just feel good, though it does feel good. When we sing in unison, we breathe together. We speed up and slow down our heartbeats together, and scientists tell us that our minds immediately begin to trust those around us. Our bodies bond with one another as we sing, as we move with one unit, breathing, beating, trusting as one. You would be hard-pressed to find any other activity that unites our bodies and our souls like singing. But even more so, Singing, and singing together, brings home the we-ness of life, the not-aloneness of life in God. We aren't alone. When we sing together, the blending of our voices reminds us of that. The variety of our voices, the diversity of our voices, 
high-pitched and low-pitched, on-key and off-key, some soaring to the rafters and some as quiet as a whisper. Our voices rising, falling together, lungs breathing, hearts beating as one, reminding us that we are not in this life or in this work alone. What's more, when the days come, and they will, when you can't bear to bring yourself to sing because the fear and the despair is too much, others will carry you with their voices until you can sing anew. Martin Luther King Jr. claimed that freedom songs played a strong and vital role in the struggle. He said they kept alive a faith, a radiant hope in the future. Singing, he says, was the antidote to fear for those who marched and sat and worked for the cause of justice. They sang songs of hope and freedom. They sang songs reminding them of the plight of the Israelites in Egypt and how God made those waters part to bring them to freedom. And as they sang, they realized they too were walking through the sea heading toward redemption, rest, liberty, all the while knowing that the walls of water might fall on them. And often they did. Walls of water from fire hoses sprayed on those seeking equal education and voting rights, or simply the ability to use a water fountain. Walls of water made manifest in the hangman's noose as innocent people were lynched on trees, strange fruit that no one dared touch. Walls of water taking the form of soldiers and police blocking the entrance to school buildings and buses. And yet, even as the waters, the walls of waters trembled around them, the people sang. With loud voices and tambourine, they sang, and their songs, their collective voices, in harmony and in unison, gave them the courage and the strength to face that fear. Sing to God. God is our strength and our song. Keep your eye on the prize. Hold on. Sing out. March on. Victory is ours. Thanks be to God for their songs. Amen.